0: Today, on The Open Word, with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw.
1: She makes a statement that says, Jehovah, your God, he is God in heaven alone and on earth beneath. Yours is the only real and true God. That's a pretty powerful thing for this woman to declare. And I believe that it speaks of building up in her a faith and a dependence upon the God of Israel because she sees and she knows Him and she knows these other gods have never done a thing really and truly for her.
0: Pastor David will teach today about the amazing confession of Rahab, a prostitute in Jericho that hosts and protects two Israelite spies when the king's men come looking for them. She had no reason to help them. She risked her own life for these strangers. However, we notice the Lord revealing Himself to her as she surprisingly confesses that she has heard what Jehovah God has done and that there is no God in heaven or on earth like him. We will learn today about the provision of our mighty God through this powerful story. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Our God Goes Before Us.
1: at this point in time, uh, as we saw in Joshua chapter 1, as well as in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses and God himself had commissioned Joshua now to lead the children of Israel from the wanderings and from the eastern side of the Jordan River over across the river and into the promised land. After 40 years of wandering due to the sin of the people, it was now Joshua that had the opportunity to move the people and begin that process of settling down 12 different tribes throughout that area, being able to conquer the land, settle the land. But first of all, before that happens, they need to go in and check the land out. And so that's where we're at here in Joshua chapter 2 as we begin it tonight. In Joshua chapter 2, we look at just uh, the first verse real quick. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove, or from Shittim, to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and lodged there. So right now, as I shared, the children of Israel, they're on the they're on the eastern side of the Jordan. They're in the area of the Moabite wilderness. A lot had happened. A lot had taken place there. The, the specific area where they're at was called the Valley of the Acacias because it was a, a river and a valley that came through there with a lot of acacia trees. And it was called that in the Hebrew. It's called Abel Shaitam, the Valley of the Acacias. It's an area directly across the Jordan River from where Jericho was. So you've got uh, a million plus people uh, not too far from Jericho right across the river there. It was an area that we read about way back in Numbers chapters 22 through 25 where the children of Israel went into idol worship. And not only idol worship, but they went into harlotry with the women of Moab. As the children of Israel were moving across that area, they had defeated several kings in that area, King Shion of of Ammon, and King Og, the king of Bashan, and and remember Balak, the king of the Moabites, he had called a prophet by the name of Balaam. You remember the story of Balaam, where Balak, the king, had called called and and was paying Balaam to come and prophesy against Israel. Come and give me this prophecy against these people so that I might be able to defeat them. And every time Balaam came and he gave a, a positive prophecy about Israel. And Balak said, No, 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 that's not the prophecy I want. And so he would take him over to another area and say, Now prophesy against the people. And so Balaam would prophesy and it would be a blessing on Israel rather than a curse. And this happened a few times and finally Uh, he realized, man, I I cannot curse these people. You're not going to be able to defeat them through my curse. You're not going to be able to defeat them militarily, but I can tell you how you can defeat them. Defeat them with the women of Moab. Send the women of Moab into their camps, and they're going to commit adultery, uh, harlotry, literally, with them. And not only in that, but as these Moabite women came into the camp, They also brought their little pagan gods with them. So Israel got into adultery, it got into idolatry, and in their sin, the Lord actually destroyed, he took the life of 24,000 Israelites because of that sin. That was a major spanking that the children of Israel got because of their disobedience, because of their sin. When we look at that, we don't know exactly how long, the number of days, the number of weeks or months that they had been in this exact area here in uh, the Acacia area, the Acacia Grove area of Urshaitam. We do know that, as I said, it's fairly close to be able to almost look and see from Jericho across the Jordan Valley to that area, to be able to see all of the Israelites that were there. Apparently, they had been there long enough to impact the people of Jericho. The people of Jericho knew that they were there, and it was impacting them pretty much. And even though the children of Israel had suffered a lot of defeats because of their sin, because of their disobedience, yet at the same time, the people of Jericho had heard a lot about how their God had given them a great many victories as they came across that land. Forty years prior to this time, Moses had sent out 12 spies to go into the land to check it out. You remember the catastrophe that came from that. Out of the 12 spies that went out into the land, 10 of them came back and said, Oh, we can't go in there. There's giants in that land. We can't defeat these people. All of their cities are are walled. We can't defeat these people. We we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes to them. And yeah, probably to them too. No, they were looking through their own eyes. And so... They made all of these words, and so it caused great fear among the people of Israel. And so the people themselves decided, no, we, we can't go because, again, man, we've heard a bad report. Well, now Joshua, he prepares to send out two other spies now 40 years later. And you would think that he would have learned his lesson. Don't send a spy. But the fact is, as Joshua sent his spies not to find out if they could defeat the people, But Joshua simply sent his spies out there so that he could see the condition of the land and to hear the heart of the people. So here in verse 1, it tells us that these two men, these two spies, went over into Jericho and they ended up lodging at the house of a harlot named Rahab. At least that's what my New King James Version calls her, calls her a harlot. And so I did some investigating. The Holman Bible says they went to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. It doesn't get much better. The English Standard Version, the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. The New Living, the New International, even the Message, even the King James Version. All of them call her by the same name, either a harlot or a prostitute. It's not a very nice word. It's not a a good connotation. So I went to the original language, looked at the Hebrew to see what I could find there. And in the Hebrew, she is simply called a zana, a zana. Well, a direct translation is one who commits adultery. (laughs) So there's no getting around this. This is who this woman was. Not only was she a Gentile, but she was a prostitute. I love the fact that the Bible doesn't try to cover up, doesn't try to make events or reputations of people nice and neat and tidy. Because by and large, none of our reputations are nice and neat and tidy. And more often than not, we need to understand that God can and will work and move through all of us, in all of our scars, all of our warts, all of our failings, every area, God is still willing and able to work in and through us. This is who, this is what she was. Now, I don't want to make a whole lot about this, but uh, as a matter of fact, there's—I believe that there's a really good and logical reason for them to land where they did, there at Rahab's house, in the times and in the culture. Within various communities, there were these houses or there were these inns that specialized in this sort of thing. Now, I've read some commentators, and they said, well, no, it was more like an inn. And I think that, again, they're trying to whitewash the situation. I don't think that it was, you know, like uh, Denny's down here where you can get a meal and something to drink and then go and stay at the motel behind it. I don't think that that's what it was. I do think that it was probably a place where you could come in and maybe a meal, but probably to drink and to, again, just enjoy what the house was there for. That, again, they went in there and they you go in there looking for pleasure, and hopefully it's a place where not only you could have some amenity, but possibly a whole lot of anonymity to where... People aren't caring about who you are, and they're hoping that you don't care who they are, so you could come in there. But one important thing about these types of places, it was probably a place where men who drank too much might be willing to talk too much also. So as these spies went in there, I believe that again, they found themselves at the house of the harlot named Rahab to be able to speak and to talk to those that were there, the men that were there, and this anonymity that was there of no one really knowing who anyone is. But the interesting thing is, Joshua had sent these men over, Was it say, to spy secretly. And yet in verse 2, we see that they had already been found out. Perhaps there wasn't as much uh, anonymity as they thought that there was. And perhaps maybe they asked too many questions of those that were there. Perhaps they seemed so out of place. Personally, I believe that a child of God ought to feel out of place in those kinds of places. They ought not be there. Whatever the case, someone knew who they were and why they were there. So look at verse 2. And so it was told... "...to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. So we know that the informants, and now the king, knew not only who they were, but they knew why they had come, and they knew where they were staying." So much for Joshua's secret plan, right? And so here these guys are. They are in the heart of the enemy country, and they've been found out. You need to realize that at this point in time, that in the natural and the normal run of things, Rahab had absolutely nothing to lose, or nothing to gain but everything to lose by hiding these men and lying to the authorities. Now, she lived right there. And for her to lie to the authorities and hide these men not only would it mean possibly her freedom, but it could very well have meant her life. They could have taken her life. And yet, I believe that there was probably something that was already happening supernaturally, taking place in Rahab's heart, even before the men came into her house that evening. It was as if she didn't even have to think this thing through. She had a plan. She had a story ready to tell the authorities. Verse 4 says that the woman took the two men. men and hid them. And so she said, oh, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went to, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. In verse 6, but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid out in order on the roof. So how it all happened, how the timing of it and everything was. I'm I'm not sure. But apparently Rahab either got a heads up or somehow even as the king's men came into her place, she had already hidden the other two men knowing that there was going to be trouble. I, I think through these things myself and in my craziness of imagination. I'm thinking that maybe the two men were there and Rahab already had a clue of who these guys were. And she understood a little bit about what's going on, not her normal clientele and definitely not of the same custom, maybe not even of the same apparel as some of the other men that would come there. And she noticed that they were possibly asking a lot of questions. And then old squealer over here you know the guy that's always squealing on somebody suddenly he gets up and he leaves and Rahab knows okay there's going to be problems maybe that's how it happened we don't know but somehow she had enough advance notice to be able to take these men get them up on the roof hide them away as the king's men came in not only did she hide them but she had a great story she said I don't know who they were I, I, I don't know where they were from and I don't know where they went but they just left so if you hurry you might be able to catch them so she's saying, you know, go ahead and get out of my place, go go after them, don't search my house, don't look around for them. If you hurry, you might be able to catch them. And so these king's men, they, verse 7 says, the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. This is one sharp lady, you know, that don't take the time to search my house, go after them, and so they did. The coast is now clear. The king's men are outside the city gates. The gates are now closed. They're headed toward the river Jordan with the hopes of being able to overtake these spies. And yet all the time they've been hiding out on Rahab's rooftop. And as amazing as the events already are, there's something actually miraculous that's about to happen. Something literally nothing short of of supernatural that's about to happen. Look at verse 8. Now, before they lay down, she, Rahab, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord... Now, stop right there. Did you notice what name she uses for God? In your version, it's probably the all-capitalized L-O-R-D. She didn't say, I know that your God, or I, I know that the God of your people. She said, I know that Jehovah... She used the very name of the Hebrew God, a personal name. And she, I believe, was taking it personal at this point in time. She could have just as easily said, I know that you're God. But she says, no, I know that Jehovah has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how Jehovah dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. The spies didn't need to go any further than this. At this point in time, Rahab now has shared with them more than they could have hoped for. She's already shared with him how already the fear of the people of Israel and of the God of Israel has just swept through this land. And the people of Jericho in particular, if not all of them, they are absolutely terrified. They're terrified of this wandering group of ex-slaves as they come in toward this land. They've seen them on the other side of the river, they've heard the tales of how they've defeated these other kings, mighty kings over here, and how their God had supernaturally given them victory. And she says, we are terrified of you people because your God, no, she didn't say your God, because Jehovah has given you this land. That's a powerful, powerful confession. That's an awesome statement when you understand it. And apparently the news had either gotten out or spread across the land, everything from God of the Israelites parting the Red Sea, allowing them to come from underneath the bondage of Pharaoh of Egypt, giving them freedom, even to the point of all of the battles that they had fought with all these great kings on that other side of the Jordan. The people had already heard how the children of Israel had defeated these great kings, not only defeated them, but in Rahab's own words, whom you utterly destroyed. We know that your God is powerful. I think it's curious how she didn't say anything about how their God had wiped out thousands of their people due to their unfaithfulness. She didn't say anything about how God had disciplined them because of their sin. What she saw and what the people on that western side of Jordan saw was the might and the power of their God to defeat all of their enemies, and their God was leading them right into this land. She knew that they were in deep trouble, and so did all of the people of the land. So she explained, verse 11, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, For Jehovah, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. we just saying, you're God alone through all things. I don't know if you recognize or not, but I believe truly for Rahab at this point in time, this is a powerful confession of faith for her, particularly for a Gentile woman a prostitute speaking about the God of the Hebrews in a very personal way, in a personal tone, that Jehovah calling him by name. This is a woman that had been raised probably all of her life in a culture that had multiples of gods, hundreds if not thousands of gods that they would worship in every sort of way, perverted way, of every kind of sacrifice. You can imagine everything from child sacrifice to Any and every way you could possibly think of. And along with the gods of their own culture, they'd been introduced to gods of other foreigners as they traveled through that land. Jericho was a huge area where travelers would come because of the way that it lay there down in the Jordan Valley. It was easy access as people came from the areas of Damascus going on down into Egypt, people coming from further east going toward the Mediterranean. Jericho was an easy place to get to. A lot of traffic would come through there. And all of those foreign that traveled through that land, it was a normal thing that they would carry little relics or idols that, that put them on the dashboard of their car so that they could have it there or hang it from their rear view mirror as they were driving along. They would carry these idols, these gods with them. And, and even artisans, artisans would come into this area where there's all of these people, and they would make these little things. They would carve them, or they would melt down and forge these little gods and and sell them to the people, the heathen cultures. They were always open to a better God, or a God that would assist them in a particular problem. And now Rahab makes this declaration that's as foreign to her culture as you can get. Because she makes a statement that says, Jehovah, your God, He is God in heaven alone and on earth beneath. Yours is the only real and true God. That's a pretty powerful thing for this woman to declare. And I believe that it speaks of building up in her a faith and a dependence upon the God of Israel because she sees and she knows him, and she knows these other gods have never done a thing really and truly for her, but she has seen the results of trusting in the God of Israel. She knew that if their God was as strong and as powerful as they had seen and as they had heard of, that she better submit herself to him and to his representatives.
0: Most of us have heard the story of the walls of Jericho falling down. We remember this story from Sunday school. This is just one of many events David will be bringing fresh insights to as we study the book of Joshua together. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need.
1: Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page.
0: Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520 836 Ninety-six seventy-six. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.
1: Small. We'll